Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. If any one of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this is in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong and do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that, this, that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You may be seated. Well, we continue in our series in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to get to some challenging texts here for the next couple of few weeks. And uh, with that, uh, we're going to continue to just sort of seek God's uh, will in all of these things. So this week, as I was uh, working through uh, the section that we're covering today, I came across a list of uh, bizarre lawsuits, and uh, I always find these sorts of things uh, somewhat humorous. Uh, There was this one guy who uh, was the plaintiff, his name was Randall Adams, and Adams was convicted of uh, murder in 1977, and 10 years later, a guy who is the defendant uh, was a filmmaker, uh, Errol Morris, and uh, he was convinced that Adams was in fact innocent, and he, he, he created a movie about it called The Thin Blue Line. Some of you will remember this. And it was, it was so well done and so well received that Adams actually got out of, court, out of prison because it was such a compelling uh, version of his innocence. It led to him getting out of prison. This guy has got to be unbelievably grateful for this filmmaker to take interest in him, right? So he gets out and he sues the filmmaker for the rights to his story. <laughs> I was like, are you, have you 
lost your minds? Like what backward world do you come in? You should write him a thank you letter every day for the next 10 years of your life. And here he is suing him in uh, court for like 60,000 in damage, something like that. It was crazy. There was another guy, Jay Costigan. Um, he was the plaintiff and he was suing Bobby Mackey's Music World, which is a country bar down in uh, Kentucky. And he claimed that uh, a, he went to the restroom one night at a, at a, at a bar, so I, I wonder what kind of condition uh, that uh, Mr. Costigan was in, and, and uh, he, went to the bar, he went to the bathroom where he was assaulted by a ghost, and the ghost beat him so thoroughly in the bathroom that he sued the owner for not posting a warning sign on the bathroom that there was a violent ghost in the men's room of the uh, of the bar and so here we are we're looking at these kinds of things and we hear these funny stories and sometimes they're crazy and sometimes they're heartbreaking uh, but you know here in this world it's filled with these sort of ridiculous uh, lawsuits and countless cases of justice thwarted in all of this and this morning we get to see a case where the Corinthian Christians are wrestling with how do we interact with the legal systems of the world and how do we experience the injustice and often the lunacy of these sorts of things. And as Christians, how can we do better in relating uh, and, and dealing with our own conflicts? And so this whole teaching series, it's going, we're going to go verse by verse through the whole of 1 Corinthians, which is really, really neat in many ways. It's also, uh, of course, very challenging because we're going to go through it and we're going to have to hit on all sorts of topics that we, you know, you normally just sort of forget to hit on. You know, you don't get around to them. And so you find these texts sometimes and you're like, wow, all right, now we're going to figure that out and talk about that. Uh, and so for that, uh, I've, been, I've been really grateful because it's really making us think through some texts that uh, we haven't covered as thoroughly. And this is certainly one of the ideas. And so really what we've seen so far, if you haven't been here for the series yet, is that God, in, in the whole of this letter, is determined to get integrity and purity inside of the hearts and minds and practices of the Corinthian Christians. His, his desire is to get integrity into them and to get worldliness out of them. And so that's really what we've been experiencing now for weeks and we'll continue uh, to see this take place. And so Paul, he writes this letter and he goes back and forth and he's sort of rebuking them for their worldly beliefs and their worldly practices. But then in a breath, he tells them, but that's not who you are. You were meant for so much more than that. You were meant for something better than that. And so he goes back and forth and back and forth. And we've seen that now for weeks and we will see more and more of it as he tries to convince them and us that we are part of a new humanity, that when we follow Christ as Savior, that this new humanity brings us to represent, it causes us to represent Christ and his interests and his ethic in this world. And so that impacts how we love and how we do justice and really pretty much how we do everything else. And so we're starting in 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 1. He says, if any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? I'm starting to study this passage and about like a couple hours into it, I start panicking because I realize that so many of the texts can apply to my life pretty easily and I can kind of 
you know, kind of get into that and figure out how it might apply for you guys as well. And I realized I've never actually sued another Christian. And so I'm looking at this and I was like, you know, I wonder if this is like a thing. And so I started asking around. I asked the staff, I'm like, hey, how many of you have recently sued another Christian? And they were like, yeah, no, never. Uh, no, in fact, I've never actually sued anyone. I've never actually been to court. And so I was like, well, then this is going to be a very short message. Because so to apply this, I just need to tell you, um, don't sue each other in ungodly courts. So there you go. We're going to wrap it up. The band can come back up. And uh, no, I've got lots more to say. So don't worry. Uh, don't, don't fret uh, yet. Actually, some, there are some days where I tell Cheryl, I'm like, you know, I'm really nervous that like I'm going to get up there and I'm just not going to have... I'm not going to have anything to say. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to have something to say. And she, like, she gives me this look that only, like, a wife could really drill into your soul. She's like, really? You? You're nervous? You're not going to have enough to say? <laughs> Olympic talker? Really? Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, really nervous. Anyway, so the point here uh, is that Paul is telling him, this is a simple application. If there's ever a situation where you're faced with bringing someone, a brother or a sister to court, you probably should think it through, probably don't do it, and most likely there's very few cases where in fact you would, uh, it would be necessary for you to do that. But it's important for us to remember that Paul is not forbidding all court cases here, and so there's a little bit of nuance that we want to talk about because there, in many, in many cases, Paul himself called on the governing authorities of his day. And so, you know, Paul in Acts 22 called on the Roman commander. In Acts 23 and 24, he called on the governor. In Acts 25, he actually appealed to the emperor in order to establish his rights as a Roman citizen to a fair Roman trial. And so it's not that he was completely discounting what goes on in the world. And in fact, there are some cases, criminal cases and serious civil cases that are to be handled by the state. And in fact, those authorities have been put there by God himself. That's found in Romans 13 and a few other places as well. And so in this particular section, this text, you could say, even uh, encourages or mandates that there are some situations that do go past what the church to handle on their own. It does go past it. And in, in the, uh, an easy way to think about this is whether or not justice would best be served and whether those who are under-resourced or under, under-privileged or the victims will need the secular support in order to bring biblical justice to bear. What I mean by that is you know, if you've got a couple in the church and, and it's kind of turning into a separation and we can't reconcile the couple and they are, they are going to divorce and we work with them and we try to get them to reconcile but there's absolutely no way and she has stayed home with the kids and she has gotten off her career track and he has all of the resources and all of the money and the church says to him, well, you know, obviously you've got to make good on your commitments to this family and so you're going to, you know, you're going to have to pay in order to support. There's no binding agreement there. The church doesn't have secular authority to mandate that he do that. And so in that case, it would be unjust for that not to go through the proper channels to make certain that justice is done. Is that, is that making some sense there? So if, you, if, you are, if you're a Christian employee 
and you are you're reading the books of your Christian employer and you find out that he has been stealing from this giant retirement fund and you say, well, you know, Corinthians tells me I'm not supposed to bring this court to, you know, this case up in front of others. I'll go to the church. I'll go to the elders. I'll go to the leaders and we'll just talk it through and we'll figure it out. That is not what this is applying to. In that case, you're going to need the support of the, the secular authorities to protect, to mandate, to reestablish, to go through all of the different uh, technicalities of a case like that to protect the people who are being taken advantage of. And so those are not the kind of cases that we would be talking about in a case like this. And so if the cause of Christ and the kingdom is going to be furthered with the secular courts getting involved, then we should recognize that God has himself put those authorities in place for the pursuit of justice. There you go. So now for some stuff that might be a little bit more applicable to more of us, and, and I might be meddling just a little bit more here. Christians, you are in fact called to handle every situation in your life with better tools, more godly resources because of our new humanity. We're going to see this over and over and over and over again in this letter. So there are going to be disagreements among Christians. There's no doubting that. There were disagreements that Paul was already talking about in the first century. So 50 AD, the church is just getting underway and Paul's like, yeah, we got some problems. We got some divisions. We have, well, why is that? Oh, because Christians are hypocrites. Well, it's because Christians are sinners. Just like everyone else is a sinner. And so, yeah, these things are going to happen. That isn't, isn't uh, to surprise us. In fact, that's, that's to be expected. What is the issue is how we handle it next. What do we do after the problems happen, after the, the, the situation, the conflict, the arguments? What do we do next? So it's helpful to point out that in a Corinthian court of law, it, the, it was kind of the goal. If you were bringing a charge against someone, you know, here we sort of try to do things very uh, more respectfully and we kind of like try to like explain here are the details and we stick to the facts. But in, in that day, you would try to, to demonize and dehumanize your opponent. And if you could land us a few solid blows against their character, then you'd have a better chance of winning your case. And so some of these court cases were just vicious in what they would say, the kind of slander or the gossip that they would like. They would just try to air out all of the dirty laundry. So you can imagine how Paul would be horrified at this. Christian and Christian trying to air all of the dirty laundry as publicly as they could so that they could come out on top in a conflict. And so you can imagine that, you know, you're going to win your case in court but man, at what price? At what price? This idea of throwing shade on another person at every opportunity, at, at making, making sure that to bash their morality or to question their integrity of your brothers and sisters, ooh, that's starting to hit a little bit closer to home for us. And so church, listen, we, we ought to love people in a very different way than the world does. We ought to love each other in an even more countercultural and, in fact, an even more controversial way because of our status as new humans. And Paul says, 
How dare you? So in this particular passage, he says, if you have a dispute with another, do you dare? Now in the Greek, there, you know, there's not, this is written originally in Greek, and, and we don't have the kind of like highlighting and punctuation that we do now, and so we would bold things and we would italicize them to, but in Greek, you would front load it. And so the way that this is actually structured in the Greek reads more like this. He says, do you dare to take it? And so the scholars say that what he's, what he's at is he's like, he's so mystified that they would do this. He's saying, you dare do that? Or how we would say it colloquial today is, how dare you? How dare you? And there's heartbreak in Paul's voice and in his tone as he's going through this. He's saying, guys, I don't understand. Just how could you possibly do this? You know, it's Thanksgiving soon, right? So, you know, you ever go to a friend's big party and you're joining in on kind of like their party? And so you're not like the main person there and you're not like, it's not your family, you're joining their family and their family gets into like a, a very personal squabble. Have you, ever been, have you ever done that? And like, it's, it can almost be funny in a very sick sort of a way, but like, it's actually really embarrassing and you're like, feel it for them. Even though you're not involved in it, you're just spectating. And they're in this like, you know, it's like a, you know, it's like a Hatfield and McCoys kind of a thing, right? We're like, oh, there's this big epic family battle, right? Or was it Sharks and Jets or, or in this case, we could do Yankees and Red Sox or whatever, you know, we think, oh, that's a fight. You know, that's a big squabble, but it's not like that. It's like the Hatfields having a fight while the McCoys are sitting there with popcorn watching. Paul's saying, this is disgusting. How dare you? And he's, he's bringing up the, the, the general sense, the importance of the shame that we ought to have when Christians are arguing in general. You know, imagine you've got a conflict at work and the person you're arguing with is a brother or sister in Christ. And it just can't. You guys can't. You don't have the maturity or the kindness or the love to settle this squabble. And you have to take it to your manager. And you're like, hey, man, you got to figure this out because, you know, we can't as brothers and sisters in Christ. And you have a, you have a non-believing manager who looks at this and he has to resolve it with greater wisdom than either of you were able to bring to it. How dare you, Paul tells us. Neighbors are Christ followers. They've made it a point. People know it. They go to the same church. You're having this very public squabble on social media about something going on in the school district. Paul says, how dare you? We got to go to small claims court. We have a, a disagreement. We can't figure out something about the fence or this or the property line or the, you know, Paul's like, how dare you? How dare you? Church fights. How dare you? When I was growing up, all these fights over worship styles that split churches. We called them the worship wars. How dare you, Paul says. Dividing over hurt feelings or refusing to forgive. Debates over these minor theological subtleties and refusals to respect each other and gossip and trash talking. And Paul's just heartbroken and he's saying, how dare you? How dare you? We've got to be able to settle our issues according to higher principles rather than have to parade these things in front of pagans whose values don't even come close to matching ours. Paul, he goes on, he's doing this great thing here. He says, or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? Will judge the world. And if you're trying to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more so the things of this life? 
This idea of judging angels, uh, you know, I've read a whole bunch of scholars on this and it's clearly a whole lot of like, they're kind of all over the place. Uh, but it's talking something about the end of time. There's something going on in this passage that points to the day when, when Jesus is going to return and he's going to establish the new heavens and the new earth and the new kingdom and all of that kind of stuff. But it's not just here. It's probably related to the overthrow of the wicked angels and how we will sit in, in judgment and rule over it. But it shows up in other places like in Hebrews. He says, it is not to the angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. We think of angels and we think of these incredible creatures, and they are. And then all of a sudden he's saying, listen, that's not who inherits all of this. It's you, the new humanity, the followers of Jesus. You'll be ruling with, with the king of the universe in Revelation toward the end of the Bible. He says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Who's going to sit with him on the throne? You are. Royalty in the new heavens and the new earth. It's developed elsewhere, Daniel 7, Revelation 20. It's all of that kind of stuff. And he's saying, listen, there is so much more for you. You ought to be able to see these things and be these ways and react in these ways in a different way because you have been made new in Christ. He actually drops down on them hard in a shame-based culture. Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. He's heartbroken. He's heartbroken. In fact, he stings them pretty good. He says, is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother takes another to court and this in front of unbelievers? He just can't get away from it. He can't understand it. Christians, it ought not be this way. We have the spiritual resources, the supernatural power to live differently than we once did. That might be how you were raised. That might be the values that your family instilled in you. It might be that you're supposed to be a scrapper and you're supposed to strike back and you're supposed to get revenge. And he's saying, that's the old way, Corinthians. It's not the way of the new humanity. He actually... He, he hits pretty hard here. He says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. This is such a tough piece for us because he's telling them now that there is a whole list of sins, things that you do, ways that you live, that you had lived, people that you were before, but you ought not to be now. He goes through this whole list. Do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, not the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who have sex with men, they're th nor thieves, greedy, drunkards, slandered, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. They go through these sin lists, and he's all over the place with this, and he's saying, look at these are the things that the Corinthian church was most likely struggling with, and they're the things we struggle with today. I can't, we're not going to develop the whole of this list because there's so many topics. We're going to cover many of these in other messages in this series. But I do want to comment on just a couple of them because Christians, I think we often see how our beliefs and our, 
are, we often fail to see how our beliefs and our actions are impacted by the world from which we have been pulled out of. And this is a really careful kind of a thing we've got to do because we, we think that they are our beliefs and we think they're the way that they ought to be, but in fact, we've carried them over from the world that we, we were born into and that we were, that we were raised in. And, but in fact, he's saying, but you have been born anew. You have been reborn into a new community and those values aren't your values anymore and those behaviors aren't your, those, your behaviors anymore. But, you know, when we go out and we pursue our careers or maybe our kids, and we put them at the forefront. We, we idolize them. And then we turn around and we call it ambition. Is that a value of the kingdom, or is that a value of this world? Right? We sex around however we want. We call it liberation. Right? We spin all of these things. We put a new term, a new way of explaining them that we picked up from the world. We go ahead and deceive people to give us what we want, but it's all right because we're maximizing profit for our company. That's what we're supposed to do. It's only about shareholders in the end. That's all that really matters. That's what the textbooks tell us. We leave the poor to struggle in a country that is filled with plenty, and we say, listen, it's, this is a bootstrap kind of a thing. You're supposed to be able to pick yourself up. By your own bootstraps. Why don't you try that one day? We slander and we gossip and we call it sharing prayer requests. <laughs> you still with me here? Sex is up for grabs. Greed is rarely discussed. It is even less frequently condemned. There's injustice against the poor. It's barely on the church's radar. And all of these issues... And problems were in Corinth, and they are problems for the American church as well. In a week or two, we're going to be talking about sexual sin. It's going to be the thing. You get it. You've been warned. First Corinthians 6. So in here, here, here we are in 6-7. He says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have, been completely, you have been completely defeated already. And of course, this is rich with irony, because why do you go to court? You go to court to win. You're going to win your case. You're going to press your point. And he goes, the fact that you already showed up in court, you already lost. It's just dripping with irony. And then he hits us with this brutal, brutal truth. The fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you've been completely defeated. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Listen, I, I want to clarify here. I don't want to kill this thing by a thousand qualifications, but it's important to know Paul is not talking about people being abused. He's not saying you've got to be a doormat for people who are taking advantage of you and for family members that are, you know, abusing you. And he's not talking about that, right? Look, look back to last week. There is the right place to confront people and to talk about sin issues and to call them out and to seek righteousness and justice. And of course, that's not how most of us will be experiencing this because most of us are clinging to our rights what ought to be ours and a whole lot of other far more subtle and insidious ways ways that actually impact and hurt our hearts so I want to introduce you to garbage can man because we learned this in my uh in my discipleship group and so you know we have a I have a d group and uh Danny and Andy Danny who was just up here uh, and Andy, our uh, Andy Yang, uh, is uh, they're in my D group, and so we have a lot of really great conversations, and we learn a whole bunch of stuff together. 
And we had, uh, this actually happened to one of the guys in, uh, in the D group. And so, uh, it, and it's not, in, you know, it's, it's totally, absolutely not important which one of us this happened to. All right, so just get that out of your head. That doesn't matter at all who it was. And so, Andy, did you, where's Andy? Did Andy put that up there? That is messed up, Andy. You can't be doing stuff. Take, yeah. I, so whoever it was who, who did this, who, whose garbage can it was, uh, noticed that his can was out on, uh, out on the curb. And it had already been emptied by the garbage men. And garbage can man comes strolling down the road. And he decides to drop his garbage in his can. So, you know, this is an empty can. It's a clean can. There's not even a bag in the can anymore. And he's dropping, like, you know, whatever, half, you know, half drunk drinks that are going to spray all over it. Or, you know, maybe a half-eaten banana, right? He's going to be like, hey, you know, no problem. It's a garbage can. Why can't I put garbage in a public? It's not a public garbage can. It's a garbage can at the end of my driveway. You know, so you're eating, you've seen these people, they eat a sandwich, and some of you are like, why would this bother you? Because it is wrong. That's why it would bother you. And so, you know, people, you ever see people who like, they pick up after their dog, but they don't want to carry it for, that was their decision. They decided to pick up their little doggy bag. You take that home with you and you put it in your trash. You know what happens when you put it in my trash can? There's no bag. I have to go clean up after you. What a, how unbelievably, so we got into this conversation, we realized this is actually a pretty frustrating, minor, but frustrating little thing. Then we start, that started us down a whole rabbit trail where we realized there's all sorts of frustrating things that happen in our lives. People that cut you off. Yeah, some of you are like, that's, but that's immoral. Like, they should be rebuked with a little road rage of their own. You know, late mergers. People that late merge onto exits. Oh my goodness, Cheryl pulled off a late merge the other day. That was unbelievable. I actually, she, so Google, she, it told, Google was telling us how long? 10 minutes she saved. This is on the Cross Island Parkway. Do you know how dangerous that is? I thought we were going to get killed. I was actually nervous. She merged right at the very bitter end after this entire long line. I was like, I was super impressed and very scared for us. But like if you were sitting there and you watched all these people pass through and jump in the line, like you're like, no, that's wrong. Why would you do that? But of course, these are minor examples of how we cling. And so we're in, the, in our D group and we realize this shows up all the time in our hearts. We're often miffed. We're often upset. We're often angered. And so often it's because someone has violated my rights. Somebody has dishonored or disrespected me. And we started to examine for weeks on end, actually, how many times we were frustrated or angry or irritated or just a little bit peeved because someone had stepped on my rights. And so garbage can man for us became kind of a, of a, of a rallying cry to start to look for ways in our own lives where we were letting something like this anger and frustrate us and start to examine what was really going on in our hearts. And if you're at work and someone takes credit for a really great idea or for your hard work and fails to give you credit and you go, well, that's just wrong. And it is. 
constantly cling to our rights. You've got a boss who's constantly on your case, who's micromanaging your work, and you're like, this is, you're, you're violating my rights. I deserve more honor. You have a family member who's giving you grief, and, and, and what you're going to do is you're going to make sure you set them straight. Give them a piece of your mind. I don't get mad. I get even. Romans 12 carries the same idea. It says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Live in harmony with one another. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So here's a memory verse time for us because I know you really want to memorize this verse. Let's say it together. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be... That wasn't very enthusiastic. This is a great memory verse that will come back to your soul ten times before you get out of the parking lot. Ready? Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Why not rather be wronged? Consider Jesus for just a moment. He rightly had everything that was his. He deserves all the respect that humanity could possibly give him. He sat in the throne room, in the heavenly realms, with access to the Father. He has all power. He holds all things together. And he empties himself. And he gives of himself. And he doesn't demand what is rightly his. He, didn't he did not insist on in getting his way in the garden. In the garden, he asked, can this cup pass for me? The Father said no. He didn't insist on getting his way. He gave of his abundant resources. He tapped into this deep reservoir of long-suffering. His patience, his mercy. And because he was able to do that, he unleashed in the world more mercy and forgiveness and hope than could have ever possibly imagined. He uses his privilege to lift us up out of poverty. We've heard that idea now time and again. And he used his sacrifice to lift us out of sin. Why not rather be wronged? That's the Savior that we follow. Jesus does it for us, and he calls us to do the same. Why not rather be wronged? Listen, church, you were meant for more than living by the rules and the values of this world. You were meant for more. He takes this whole section, he ends it, and he says, and that is what some of you were, pointing back to that list. That's what you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You have been forgiven and you have been given every resource that you need to be the women and the men that Jesus is calling you to be in this world. 
If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.